everyone and welcome to the All Things International Education podcast. I'm your host, Celia Onia, and I'm excited to have you join us today. This is the right place to learn about all sorts of international education topics, to gain a holistic view of the industry and find career inspirations. Don't forget to share this podcast if you find it helpful. And now let's start with the guest of the day. Today we're meeting with Kristen Byras, who just published an article in the fall edition of the Journal of Comparative and International Higher Education. I'm adding the link to the article in the episode description below, so you can go ahead and read it. I really enjoyed it, and I highly recommend it. She highlights how international student retention is interconnected with their spouse's experience, and we will discuss ways to support spouses and how to give them back a place and space to grow. Kirsten is an academic administrator, a researcher, and a scholar for Northeastern University. Hi, Kristen. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, we're going to talk about your article called A Package Deal, Effective Support Systems for International Student Spouses. In the article, you focus on international student spouses' experience in the host country, in the host community, and how international student spouses' experience is connected to international student retention rate. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I definitely love to talk about my research on this. Awesome. Let's get into it. So you mentioned in the article that spouses are sometimes considered invisible population in the field of international education. My first question would be, how did you hear about international students' spouses' experience? Because that's a topic we don't hear about very often. Uh, to answer your, your question, I first became aware of the potential issues that spouses of international students face while here um, abroad through my master's course um, at Northeastern University back in 2015. I was taking this course called Legal Issues in Higher Education, which was uh, led by Dr. Emilia Barbadoro at the time. And we were tasked with writing a research paper on something relevant to the topic of, um, le of le legal issues, specifically in the realm of higher education. I've always had an interest in international, higher edu international education, so I was starting to look for articles on international students and, or study abroad, and I happened to come across an article that talked about sports services for the spouses. And the more I read it, the more I was intrigued about the specific demographic that really isn't talked about nearly enough in the in the in the field of um, international education. So that kind of made me want to learn more. And then when I decided to go through with my uh, doctorate of education, I wanted to focus my research on that subject. So. That's kind of how I got involved with that specific topic. And there really isn't much at all in terms of um, the research on it. There's, there's a few articles, but the majority um, tend to focus more on the experiences of international students rather than their, their families. Right. And the article was really interesting and made me think about how much we put effort into you know, communicating also to parents of international students. But we completely forgot about about spouses when students are already married and 
um, for some demographics international of international students, their parents play a big role in the decision-making process. But for the demographic that we're talking about today, well, it's their spouses, and yet there's little research about it and not that much effort put into it in general in higher education. Yes, and especially with um, more and more non-traditional students returning to to higher education to further their own um, career prospects, graduate students are more and more um, in the non-traditional age, meaning over the age of 25, et cetera, and therefore tend to be the highest demographics that are married. And some might even have have um, children with them as well, too. And yeah, I mean, everyone is affected in their family with the same acculturation issues, but there's just not the support, except only for the for the students. And that's only if the university or institution provides it. Right. And so you interviewed a few international students' spouses for your research. Yes, I interviewed a total of five participants. Um, One was from, sorry, two were from China. One was from Egypt. One was from India. And one was from Turkey. Um, Out of the five, uh, three had actually decided to return to graduate programs while they were here in the United States um, because of the issues that they faced being on the F2 visa. And the other two... um, did not re, re, return to uh, studies. They just remained on F2. Okay. So in the United States, the F2 visa is for international students' spouses. Is that correct? That is correct. The F, so the F1 visa is uh, the U.S. equivalent of an international student visa. Mm-hmm. So that's the one that if in, someone who wants to come and study in the United States as a student, they would apply for an F1 visa. Now, if they're coming with any form of dependent, whether it's their um, spouse or family members, they would apply. Their dependents would apply as part of the F two visa. And can F two can people with an F two visa work or they are? No. So that is part of um, what my research um, developed was the fact that. There are many restrictions for the F2 visa. They cannot take um, uh, classes towards a degree. Um, They also cannot work. Um, We already know that F1 for the, the student is very restrictive on what they can do to work. They have to be affiliated with the university in some way. Um, for them to work legally. Um, but F2, they are not allowed to work at all. And what was fascinating to me, at least in terms of my research, was there's a lot of, um, I guess, want to say, I don't, I don't want to say stigma, but just kind of belief that um, in the traditional family sense that, um, especially in this case, because all of my, uh, the spouses I interviewed were, were female. I was not able to, um, find actually any male participants who were here on F2, 
which was very, or had been here on F2 visa, which was very interesting. Uh, but that's a whole other topic. (laughs) Um, But uh, so they were all, all females. So the whole traditional concept of being the, the, the homemaker, the traditional subservient wife, you know, some people might think would, it would be easier for them to transition, you know, still staying at home, all of that. It wouldn't necessarily be as bad. Um, but in fact, every single one of the five spouses I talked to were extremely like well-educated and had careers back home that they left in order to support their sp- their spouse who wanted to study in the United States. Um, they were, uh, to give you a general idea, they were um, one participant was, was an accountant. Another was, uh, she had her M- MBA um, and was working at a well-known international bank. We had an engineer, um, another one who was a government official. And yeah, it was just, it was kind of fascinating to hear all of that. And none of them wanted, you know, kind of the, the, the traditional subservient view, um, which was part of the, the issues that they obtained when they came to the United States as part of their acculturation issues. They had a lot, they, they had their professional life, they had their social life, they had their family life back home. And to have all that taken away and, and really all, all they could do was just sit at home um, at this point was a major issue for them and that led, you know, uh, to bouts of mental health issues and all of that, which we all know that acculturation issues are experienced by international students, but at least they have services. Um, so these participants were, you know, having to find information themselves. They wanted to learn English. Um, universities didn't help them. They did, did their 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 own research on that um so universities don't provide any english classes for spouses of international students no the um the views of the majority of institutions of higher education is that their um their services are for the student not for their spouses which on paper that you know, you can argue that that is, you know, correct. The students are paying the fees. You know, the family, the spouses aren't necessarily paying the, you know, like the fees um, for it. But there has been research that have shown, you know, that family support is a major component of um, academic completion. And if there's a lot of stress in their home life there's uh, the more the more stress in their home life the the higher likelihood that the international student will either a completely give up on their academic um journey and just re, re, return home or b will just re, return home to their prior lives because um the stress on their spouses is just too much and for their their relationship. Um, I also found that 
uh, I kind of alluded to them, to the spouses being more educated than normal, but there's also the component that they wanted to be part of this community. They wanted to be seen by the, the institutions. Um, they did not receive any communication from the, the universities that they even, that these institutions even knew that they were married to their, to the, to, to the student. <laughs> um, yeah, there is no, no, no communication. Um, there was no events put on to help like the families mingle. And if there were events um, on campus, they were usually only for, usually just for students only. So the part, so the spouses could not attend that way. Um, so it's not even just that universities don't interact with international student spouses, it's that sometimes they don't even know that their international students have a spouse at home that's on an F1 dependent visa. Yeah, I mean, that definitely could, could be a component. Um, I would like to think that the, um, the DSO would have an idea because they're the ones that are mm-hmm. monitoring, you know, the visa status of everyone at the university. But um, it's definitely not a priority for the institutions to monitor that. Um, and so they... The spouses were just very much, you know, left by themselves, and they 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 experienced the same acculturation issues um, that the students do. You know, um, language difficulties, um, especially if English is not their first language. Um, cultural integration, like feeling like feeling isolated, um, not having their, their social support. All of all of that, getting just getting used to, um, in this case, because my research was done here in the United States, that you know, getting used to the American quote quote lifestyle, like learning what um, like how like how to order food, um, go to grocery store. One of the things that um, because the institution I chose was a urban institution lo- lo- located in the New England area, is um, there is this coffee. Um, grab and go restaurant called Dunkin' Donuts, which um, is very popular in this part of the country. And there's this cultural thing in New England where you walk in and order a coffee, and if you just say, I want a regular coffee in New England, that means a coffee with milk and sugar. In other parts of the country, like even the other parts of the United States, you know, a regular coffee, people would think what, what we consider, which is really black coffee, just plain coffee, nothing added to it. So, um, you know, dealing, dealing with that, you know, thinking they they want to just get a regular standard um, cup of uh, black coffee and then they're getting sugar and milk in it. And um, just, you know, a lot of, just different acculturation, as I mentioned, um, where the international students would have their international advisor that they could talk to and would probably get information provided to them from the institution. But as um, what the spouses told me is they 
they did mention that there was a potential because I did ask them about any resources that the, um, that the institution might have given them. Um, they, they, they did admit that there might have been information that the university gave to their gave to the student, but that was not passed on to um, to the spouse. So they just felt like they didn't have anyone to to talk to for that. So spouses would be looking for direct interactions with advisors at the university, I guess, to receive information directly rather than through the um, through their spouse that is enrolled at the university. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't have to be like the international student advisor per se, but they wanted direct um, communication from from the university to them. Um, and that could be, you know, from international programs office, it could be from, I don't know, the provost office, you know, something um, that they would get information from. And they were very um, tactile in how they came up with getting this. And a couple of the ideas that they thought was just having a website with basic information for them um, to look at. We, they, they did admit that some of the questions they had could be maybe considered general or standard questions that many spouses would, would ask. So having a website with that information would, would be great. And then just having one person and their contact information, whether it's an email or a phone number, that, that they could just contact them if they have any questions and just felt like they were heard would be great um they would love emails um but they also understood that that can take a long time to have like monthly emails put together especially just for that demographic so um but having some sort of database as well that um they could kind of figure out a um uh, i would i would say probably like a advisor or a buddy as a way um, because part of the issue was again feeling so isolated because there was a lot of lack of programs for them or opportunities for them to meet other people so they're often by them themselves that if this contact at um, the university could help create or promote programs for these spouses um, mostly social in a way that that would help out too. And so if somebody knew, for instance, um, if I just arrived on campus and I didn't know anybody, that I could contact this person and they would um, be able to provide me or connect me with another spouse that had been here for a while. So um, that way we could get um, personal information, like what it really is like to be a spouse, because as we know, the institutions can give as much information as possible, but the most, uh, like most important thing is to get that personal experience and only a person that has gone through it is the one that is the best person to give it. Right. So I guess being a part of a community would be very important. So if they could be a part of a university community or even 
an international student's palaces community that would make a big difference for them. Yes, and make a wealth of difference for them because it would provide social support. You could even provide academic support too. As one of the um, participants brought up is they were interested in um, going back to to school and enrolling in a graduate program, but um, they didn't really have anyone to talk to. And they were lucky enough that they had visited campus with their student spouse um, and met some of the faculty in that department. And the faculty was one who actually advised them on programs and was like, oh, I think based on your interest, you'd be interested in this program. Like, here's some information on it. Check this out. And she she stated that she would never have thought about it or known of the program if it hadn't been for that faculty. Um, so if the website that international students' palaces would have access to, if this website would include um, maybe visa information on how to change their status, that could be helpful then? Yes, that, that was a big thing. They wanted, um, kind of jumping off of that, in general terms, like they wanted potential legal information from switching from an F1, uh, F2 to an F1, if that's what they wanted to do, if they found a program that they liked. Um, but also, in terms of support services, one, one um, participant brought this interesting topic up, which was the concept of domestic abuse and maybe needing to get a divorce and what their rights were in terms of um, being here in the United States and what it would mean. Um, she said that she had talked to other spouses and that was a legitimate concern with some of them. And we already know that um, domestic abuse is a major issue world, world worldwide. Um, and when you're, you're here on a visa, it can be even more complicated understanding so they would be looking for need or be looking for legal support of on various um topics i guess yeah i mean they they also understood that obviously the people were not lawyers but at least would be able to provide them with uh, like information on where to direct them to um obtain you know counsel or information like that, which most institutions do have information, you know, sports services in terms of domestic abuse or assault, all of that. Um, but it's a very highly sensitive issue um, because, again, like with the legal ramifications of being in good standing because of their visa, um, health health insurance was another big issue that was brought up by them because um, the, some of them had uh, universal coverage back home in their countries and never dealt with in insurance before. I didn't realize that how expensive medical care could be in the United States without insurance. Um, in general, they didn't even know how to access the medical services here in the United States. They didn't know what to expect um, if they needed to, to see a doctor, like how to make an appointment, like where do they go? Um, because they weren't as familiar with, with the structure of that. Um, 
housing in, in particular, as I said, um, my research took place in an urban location in New England that has an extremely high cost of living and housing. Um, one of the top three in the country that they, a lot of the spouses were shocked in the cost of rent just to rent an apartment. And in order to survive, some of them had to share apartments with others, which they would rather just have apartment for them and their families. Um, they didn't know the rental process in terms of the major turnaround in the city that happens on September 1st, and that a lot of rent, a lot of leases are a year based, not month to month or short term. Um, credit is a big thing here in our country. And Sometimes they would not be, they would not be able to sign a lease because they did not have credit, which brings to another interesting thing that these um, participants really wanted was um, ideally having the universities just provide some type of, um, I don't want to say financial assistance, but um, either provide like some type of documentation or guarantor that would mean that if the family did not pay the rent that the university would help um, right so almost like if they would kind of co-sign yeah to to make sure that the international student can actually get a, enough campus housing right or even um, another thing would be on campus housing directly used for couples or graduate students Um which is not very popular here in the United States in particular, especially in urban settings because most people live off campus. So they came up with that as a really good I, I, idea. Um, so those were kind of things that, you know, they wanted. They also wanted, um, which would link back to having some sort of connection to the institution of, having um, similar to a student ID or an alumni ID that would show that they are connected to the institution that would not necessarily allow them all the privileges of a student. So they understand, you know, that um, students pay specific fees, but maybe to allow them to access the library or the gym with their spouse um, and, and attend events, which as I mentioned before, um, they were not allowed to attend a lot of um, seminars or other events that were held on campus because they were not quote unquote students. Um, yeah, they just, you know, they're moving here with their spouse, their identity is wrapped up with that institution, yet they are not getting any of the support that um, they should. Yeah, so they, what you said in, in the article, um, again, really resonated with me. Well, I haven't been in that position, but um, when you say that sometimes they feel invisible. Yes. It, it does make sense because they basically are not in touch with the university. They are not involved in the community. It's not necessarily easy for them to meet other international student spouses. So they, and they cannot work. So they are definitely home alone um and so just to sum up what we said what would really help them is to have information on maybe how 
healthcare works and just, I guess, an introduction to American lifestyle and how things work, maybe specifically where they are, depending on their region. And also having um, housing information, um, events information, so they could potentially, well, so they could contribute to the community and potentially attend some um, seminars with their spouse. Um, and then you mentioned the well, the ID card to access a library or the gym or some student facility, which I think is a really great idea as well, actually. Yeah, because I mentioned what was very interesting is they, as much as they wanted, you know, social in- interactions, they also had like major interest in academic pursuits as well. They wanted to go to these seminars and hear about research. They wanted to, um, you know, be integrated into the community. Um, so that was something that they really wanted and felt like those IDs would, would, would help them in that way. Did the student you interviewed have any tips on maybe or best practices that they've used to feel like, to feel more comfortable and to, um, losing my words here. (laughs) Um, Did they share any tips on how to integrate to the community and feel comfortable there? I would say that a lot of it has to do with their own personal initiatives. So the ones that seem to have adapted better were ones that um, kind of took it upon themselves to make it better for themselves in terms of language classes. Um, one of them really wanted to improve their, their English language skills. So um, they looked in the newspapers, they found out that libraries were having free courses or like more get togethers to practice English. So they, they did that. Um, and that's why they kind of brought up the whole mentoring concept um, because finding out from either family members, another one, um, said that her father had been a graduate um, student on the West Coast, um, and they had had a um, couple, like, family housing. So she was very shocked when she came um, to this institution on the East Coast, and there was not any here, um, because her expectations were there was, based on family, um, per, like, family experience. Uh, some of them have... Uh, been to the United States before for vacation. Um, so they had, they, they still had a lot to learn cause it's completely different living here than coming for a few days. Um, but they, some of them had family in other parts of the U S that made them feel like a little bit more comfortable, but again, they didn't have anybody like right there with them. So having to find their own friends, um, was, Something and they basically, you know, just kind of try and get over your nervousness and all of that. Um, but yeah, just trying to keep um, integrating. Um, a lot of the issues, as I said, was students, uh, these spouses, three of them actually decided to transfer to an F1 visa, and that opened opportunities to them 
socially and academically. Um, they didn't always want to do that. In fact, one of ours um, mentioned that she had no intent on ever getting her her doctorate, but because um, the restrictions on the F2 visa was just way too much, she just, um, you know, that 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 was the only option because she didn't want to be separated from her 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 husband. So the student used the F one visa or transferred to an F an F one visa to actually feel like she was a part of the community and integrate better. So that's that's why she she enrolled into a PhD. Yes, exactly. Um, and that was very similar to the other two. Um, although the other two didn't necessarily vocalize it directly like that that one student did she flat they flat out said I do not necessarily want to get this doctorate I do not want to be an academic I want to be a consultant I'm fine with my master's but I want to stay here and this is the only way that I can I can stay and 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 be be happy due due to the restrictions on the dependent visa did any of the people you interviewed end up leaving the country because they really didn't feel good and didn't feel like um, they were integrated and included? So none of um, all of them were interviewed on campus, so they didn't necessarily leave. Um, the ones that did transfer to F1, they had to leave the country, but that's part of the visa process because you cannot transfer... Okay. You can you cannot apply for an F one in country per se. So I, at least on an F two. Um, so they had to leave and apply for the F one back home, and that to to be able to come back to the United States on an F one visa. But in terms of like just leaving because they weren't happy and not coming back, no, all of them. I mean, all of them did mention, you know, this is, they were, they're all married and this was a big commitment. And some of them were actually still in the newlywed area. A couple of them were married just for about a year. Um, uh, one of them stated that her husband, um, who, which, which they had, had talked about, like he was already had, had, had applied um, to the institution and was planning on studying abroad. Uh, like earning earning his his degree abroad before they got married, so she knew that this was happening um, and supported him on it. They got married, but didn't realize that they were going to do it so soon. Um, but with the economy being bad, um, this they decided to start sooner rather than later. It was still within the first year, and they spent like the first maybe two to three months of their marriage apart because of it, and that's why. Um, you know, they, they decided to apply for the F2 and then got here and then switched to the F1. Okay. There's one last thing I'd like to touch on really quickly. I remember reading from your article that um, one person you interviewed said they were greatly impressed with all the help that they received from their spouse's academic department. So not the international department yes. in any way, but the academic department, which was surprising to me. Yes, and that was very surprising to me too. And that's um, the the participant you're mentioning is the one that I talked about earlier that 
really wasn't thinking about going back to graduate school, mm-hmm. but after going to visit um, her husband's department, was talking to some of the faculty there and about her passion and her professional background. They're like, well, actually, you know, you should check out this, this program. Um, but yeah, definitely, they, they found the academic departments much more um, supportive and parts of me wonder if it's because they spend the most time with the students um, compared to other administrators in the institutions. But um, yeah, I mean, I see even for my own as an academic administrator um, that has a graduate program with about, I'd say 50 to 60% is international students. Um, the support given to our doctorate students by their advisors, our faculty there is phenomenal. You know, how they step up and advocate on behalf of those students. Because um, especially with the recent news about, um, you know, with the pandemic and in the United States, them wanting to reverse the immigration restriction, the visa restrictions on international students. um, It's just, it's, the whole visa process is a very scary thing. You don't want to be deported, (laughs) you know, and never be able to come back if you want or anything like that. So these students definitely, you know, want to stay uh, in their visa status and restrictions. And sometimes it takes, you know, the faculty or departmental staff to stand up for them and advocate on their behalf to get them what the the information and support that they need. Right. And that actually, um, well, I don't know if you want to do another research um, or article about it, but it would be really interesting to know if any international student spouse received information on what's going on right now during the coronavirus and all the different different guidance that have been um, shared and then modified times and times again for the past few months because it's been we talk about how stressful it's been for international students and for international offices staff but um i haven't heard anyone talking about international students policies experience and how stressed they they must have been as well yeah i mean this whole thing is so new at this point that i'm sure in the next year we'll probably get some more research especially on the like the psychological um, ramifications of, of the pandemic and immigration status. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that, you know, the field of international ed really needs to start taking in, in to account. Yeah, especially given that it has a really strong um, connection to international student retention rate, which, I mean, again, yes. it's, it's awesome to bring in international students, but if they drop out, if they don't finish their um, degree, it's it's not a good experience down the line. No, not at all. And as um, you know, those that are in the field very well know, especially in the United States, a lot of these institutions of higher education, their finances depend on international students because they do not qualify for it for financial aid. Um, they they have a lot of financial restrictions. So they're paying full tuition price, um, which is why I think a lot of the institutions of higher education, particularly those that have large 
international student populations were the first on board to to join, you know, legal suits against the current administration. Okay. You're referring to was it Northeastern, uh, MIT, and yeah. Harvard? Was it? Correct. Yes, um, I believe it eventually got up to I think seven. I don't know if it was 17 states or 17 institutions, but a lot more joined. And thankfully, the pressure got to the um, administration and that was reversed because, um, you know, we are in the middle of a pandemic. Online instruction is a reality for right now. Um, and these students should not be penalized because of something of this, of this magnitude. Right. And I'm just thinking with what you just said, it's been it's not just for international students, but for people worldwide, um, whether they're at work student or um, international student spouses. But with the lockdown for victims of um, abuse at home, it's been very difficult. And if you're an international student spouse and you don't know who to reach out to, definitely increases the feeling of isolation they must feel. Yes, and, and, and legal issues are very um, in, intimidating. And some of these participants even mentioned that um, they didn't necessarily get a lot of information on even how to apply for an F2 visa or an F1. Um, so they had to do their own research too in terms of figuring out what documentation was needed. And they found, that, found a lot of times um, they would have to go to the consulate and speak to somebody to get that information. So, um, yeah, the more, the more information they can get, the better to help them make decisions. And, um, as I said, like these institutions, a lot of these programs that would benefit the spouses wouldn't cost any more money to, to the institution to allow the spouses to, to take part in. These are not necessarily new programs, um, besides like the like mentor program that they wanted, but having somebody to talk to, um, having information about visas, about um, uh, medical stuff, all of that is pretty much, you know, standard information that these universities have that they are either giving to their, to the students um, when they arrive but it's just not getting to the spouses for for whatever reason. Yeah. So having a basic website with all those informations on and contact details to talk to an advisor if needed would be greatly helpful and we don't really require any additional program or time from the staff once the website is put on, basically. Right. It, it really wouldn't. Um, it would just be something that... Um, would have basic information that wouldn't necessarily needed to be updated all the time. Um, they could have, like, if it's information about visas, like maybe have a link to the official visa page or something, or say, for more information, contact X, Y, and Z, you know, instead. Um, but the participants just felt that a lot of their questions could have been answered um, either on a website or just being able to contact somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like institutions could, could do this easily by either um, 
again, well, it, it really depends on the financial um, situation of these institutions and how big the international student population is there. Um, for instance, a larger one, um, such as, you know, like Harvard, MIT, Northeastern, um, all those in like, you know, in Boston in particular, NYU in New York, um, that have large international student populations and large populations to begin with, and I have a lot of name recognition, it might be beneficial for the International Program Office to hire somebody that focuses only on the spouses of international students because the amount of spouses would need that. You know, there'd be a lot of the spouses. And so that can be helpful. And that person, again, would be the link between the university and the spouses would help create programs and um, all of that. Um, while, you know, a standard for a institution that is like a community college or maybe some in a non-urban location that does not have a huge international student population, um, another way to go about that to save money would be to have a international student advisor um, maybe cut their course load and um, take on that responsibility instead. Um, and that, again, could save money. The internet, um, the student cards, that's not a lot of money at all. The universities always, already do stuff for alumni, and it can be something that's requested by the spouses. Um, and they could just change the wording from student or alumni to spouse, <laughs> you know, um, that's all electronic that people do anyways. So that's not a lot of money. Um, the big thing would be for student housing on campus, which would probably um, create them. They would, they would need to be the most flexible and creative with um, urban institutions. Again, with a lot of um, students that might want to live off campus that could help out. Um, right now, for instance, the institution that the research I did at, um, they require first and second years to live on campus. It is a requirement. They cannot live off campus. Um, I feel that if the institution lifts the second year requirement, as I understand the first year, um, that could create... Um, special housing for spouses. Um, ideally, I, I would say probably this would work out better for, for childless families um, in that case. But, you know, and have the family, the, the uh, student and their spouse pay, pay a fair market rent for, for that lo lo location. Um, it's definitely doable. It might need, need some um, creativity, as I said, but a lot of it is just allowing those that wanted to um, take part in it, um, you know, to be able to, um, to do so, to at least give them the opportunity to take part in it. So far, have you heard of any institution in the U.S. or abroad that has... Um, that, that does take into account international student spouses' um, experience or that started any program to help them integrate to the community or 
to the university life? So as far as I'm aware of, um, the only thing that I heard of was, as I mentioned, one of the participants stated that her expectations was that there would be on-campus spousal housing because her parents had it on the West Coast. So future research would be awesome to determine if um, if they could see what other institutions have and if indeed that still isn't still is the case in the West Coast. But I I haven't heard of anything besides that. Let's see if we hear of anything after um, people read your article because I, I think it will definitely um, highlight the the issue and hopefully change things. I agree. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much, Kirsten, for sharing about your research and your article and for your time today. I'm really grateful. And whenever you publish your next article, please feel free to let us know. Will do. Thank you so much again. It was a lot of fun.